like on a great scale, it's business without a middleman. Like that is the, the ethos of crypto. That is like, that is the goal almost, right? So what DeFi allows you to do is conduct all of the primitives which are available in the traditional banking system. So all sorts of trading options and lending and borrowing and margin trading and like a fixed rate loan, right? You can do all sorts of these, of these primitives on the blockchain using cryptocurrencies. Hello and welcome to The Lewis and Kyle Show, an interview podcast where Lewis and I interview high performers, entrepreneurs, investors, etc. lots of people. But today we have on Andy. Andy is the co-founder of DeFi Slate, a publication that writes and podcasts about the decentralized finance universe that has blown up over the last year. Before that, Andy was super big into e-commerce, building Twitter brands, different affiliate marketing things. But recently he's shifted his whole focus to decentralized finance because in his words, it is the bet of the decade. And I tend to agree with him. And in this episode, we start out with what his background is, why he has transitioned to decentralized finance, you know, how to evaluate some of these big schemes that are going on, what big risks to look out for in decentralized finance, and, you know, some of the bigger projects that are less risky, but still very risky. And disclaimer for all of you, none of this is investment advice. We know nothing and, you know, make your own decisions. All of this is just for fun, just recreation. And we're excited that you're here and thank you for listening. Yeah. I don't have anything to add there. Enjoy this fun episode with Andy. Andy, welcome to the Lewis and Kyle show. Yeah. Glad to be here. What's up, Lewis, Kyle? How y'all doing? Doing good. Doing good. It's a, it's a rainy day in Tuscaloosa, but we're excited to talk with you. So Right now, you are podcasting at DeFi Slate, writing at DeFi Slate, and you're, you're building this sort of ecosystem around you that involves decentralized finance. But I know that before all this, you were building a presence on Twitter and sort of playing the internet entrepreneurship game. So will you tell us sort of how you got to where you're at today? Yeah, so I'm originally from Florida, and after extended school through obviously high school and middle school and all the all the all the, all the learnings and all that, I, I managed to get my way into the University of Florida, which was always like, all right, cool. This is where I, this is where I want to go growing up. And you know, I I came to learn through a bunch of different classes and subjects and things that you know. There's so many opportunities and career paths and and things. And as a young I would say 18 year old or 19 year old, uh, I was really just trying to figure out one thing or the next, you know, I was a bit kind of forward thinking in the sense that I was like, all right, like, I'm going to just figure this out, like, kind of like now, like it was just a now thing. Right. And so with that kind of mindset, I hopped into pre-med, didn't work out. I hopped into finance, wasn't really interested. You know, I, I learned a few other things. So all the way up to about sophomore year of college, I was kind of just kind of finagling my way around kind of online business opportunities, trading. Really the biggest thing was crypto in 2017. That was kind of like the intro to the game, if you will. That was great, didn't last long. And then fast forward all the way to spring and summer of 19, we saw Twitter as this way of connecting with people that basically were doing this new form of business, which was kind of underground still, which was a lot of this kind of same stuff, podcasting and content and emails and ads. And so I got exposed to that when I was a sophomore in college and I basically just ran with it and started doing online marketing, email marketing for clients, started building Twitter, tweeting a lot. There was money Twitter realm, if if you will, that were tweeting a lot about all these ideas. Bunch of, a bunch of connections and business partners and clients and hours later, we got a full-time income from online business in like, you know, six months, like tops. It was like, 
boom. And we did a great job with everything that we've done. And we were like, okay, let's keep pushing this. So I took a, Wait, who, a week. Who is it? You and your, your partner or? Yeah, I say we, because there, there was a lot of people that basically were a part of the ride. Like I, I can't really take full credit for any of this because without the people that like were around me, it was, it's, it's tough to just say, you know, mm -hmm. I, but currently I do have a partner, but back in the day, it was a lot of contractors, a lot of people that we were working with and a lot of clients that the clients really made it possible, right? They were the ones paying. And so, you know, all the way up to the end of 19, we, we were doing a lot of online, online marketing, email marketing, phone sales, all that stuff, all the way up to about 2020, early 2020. And I kind of just got turned off by it all in a weird way. And just dove headfirst into DeFi in 2020, started building this DeFi slate show, all that stuff, invested a good bit into crypto. And then now we're here, we're 21, fresh two years or so out of out of the University of Florida, pretty much considered not going back at this point and full-fledged on my own with the team. And so that's kind of a long story short. I, I, I missed a whole bunch in there, but yeah, it was just- Yeah, what happened sense. there at the beginning of 2020 where you sort of fell out of love with what you'd been doing and started this DeFi slate? Yeah, I just, I, I was in search for the truth, man. And I didn't know it. So the truth is, the truth is in the pudding in a sense, you know, when we go after these things, right? You know, when, when we're going and trying to make money and build businesses, we often are doing that from a, a, a position of lack. And this position of lack comes from insecurity about your background, insecurity about your looks, insecurity about how many girls you're with, blah, 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 blah right? So all these things kind of drove the nature of a lot of successful and ambitious people right and i was one of them i you know i came from a sense of oh like i i, I have to prove all this stuff to myself and i have to do all this and i have to be the the man and blah 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 and at the end of 2020 after about a a, a, a year or sorry at the end of, of of 19 early 20 after about a good like year of hardcore like i'm talking long hours i was like all right I got some money. I'm chilling. And so, yeah, I kind of fell, fell out of love with the game there. The so, truth. Man. Yeah. The second half of that is what you fell in love with. So for people who aren't familiar with it, it's a two part question. Could you give us a definition of DeFi and explain what about it kind of attracted you to be, this is going to be your huge focus for the next foreseeable future. Yeah. DeFi is a little acronym. It's a little buzzword. It's kind of awesome. Uh, Decentralized finance is basically the conduction of commerce without a, a central party. Uh, like on a great scale, it's business without a middleman. Like that is the, the ethos of crypto. That is like, that is the goal almost, right? So what DeFi allows you to do is conduct all of the primitives which are available in the traditional banking system. So all sorts of trading options and lending and borrowing and margin trading and like a fixed rate loan, right? You can do all sorts of these, of these primitives basically on the blockchain using cryptocurrencies. That, that is like the overarching idea of DeFi is, okay, how can we take this, take what is and make it into a better, a better system, which is permissionless uh, and open to everyone. So the motto of DeFi is openness global permissionless finance, which is effectively unstoppable by any nation state or any third party. And so that kind of concept to hop onto the second question is kind of what drove the pure passion. I mean, the, the ability for unstoppable finance is just like 
really mind-boggling because we've never really experienced anything like that because of the way the money in the state is combined. So not to get into too much of the politics, no, but yeah, but that openness is is uh, what what drives the passion. I think it's a bit of working together and collaboration for the greater whole to succeed. The kind of crypto community is, is viewed as a bunch of autists on Twitter, if you will, but ultimately at the core of the developing teams and the communities, it's a bunch of people working together to see the whole system succeed, which really, I don't believe there is a whole lot of that in the world outside of the community today. There's a lot of competition and a lot of cutthroat and it's great. That's how, that's how business is ran. But point is the global the the global open nature is what is what drew me to it and that's kind of the definition of of DeFi. I to touch on what you said there about like how everybody's working together i really see it as like a positive sum game because like you know everyone is building these different lego blocks that work with each other to make the system better as a whole and everybody who participates in the system by creating these different lego blocks you know wants more lego blocks to be built and i think that that is something that you know, I'm really excited about seeing the future of, but what opportunities specifically do you see that exist today that you're excited about within decentralized finance? Yeah. I mean, the, the, like the number one thing is the Ethereum ecosystem is just absolutely just, it, it breaks barriers of everything that anything that I've ever seen before. So without a doubt, what's going on in Ethereum is absolutely just impeccable in terms of the network effects that are coming of it. So like a real quick primer on kind of why Ethereum. So Ethereum was created way back when in 2015 that they were like the first ICO pretty much ever, right? So since then there's been hundreds of ICOs, uh, but this was the first one. You had to send in some Bitcoin to this random website, Rich, which it was backed by, by these people who've done all this work, but it was this random site, ethereum.org. And in return, they sent Ethereum uh, to an Ethereum wallet for you, which you would access to. So the only people in the entire space at, at, at this point were hardcore OG libertarian, just straight whales of Bitcoin. Like they believed in Bitcoin only, but somehow, some way, Ethereum kind of came up. And then if you fast forward through all the way to now, Ethereum is the backbone of DeFi. So with six years under the belt of Ethereum, if you will, it has, uh, and it's achieved a Lindy effect, which is basically the longer that something exists, the, like the more likely it is to continue to exist. So just from like a investment and kind of a narrative standpoint, that is really, really important. And so kind of deeper into the technicals, and then I will... I'll field some questions because trust me, it gets a little bit wanky. All of the tokens that pretty much existed up till 2017 were all built on Ethereum. Like I would say 90%. To this day, it's probably closer to like 60%, maybe half, but about half of the cryptocurrencies we, we can call it are built on what, what is known as the ERC-20 standard. And the ERC-20 standard is basically the smart contract. So it's the coding language that uses the Ethereum blockchain that all these tokens are built on. So what Ethereum has done is it's basically created a base layer for unlimited applications with no stoppage. Like there is, it's a 24 seven online supercomputer, if you wanna call it that, that anybody can build on at any point from any location in the entire world. And that basically has no rules except for code. So the only law that you follow when you build within this, this ecosystem is the code and that anybody can access it. And so, 
I know we're kind of going all over the place, but that is what I am most excited about in DeFi. And that, 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 that really kind of starts your foundation for what, what DeFi is. Yeah. It's like the limits of what you can create on top of Ethereum are mathematics, your imagination. And, and that's pretty much it because it's literally a, it's like, I'm reading the, the infinite, infinite machine book right now. And it's all about how, you know, they created a, a platform that you could build anything on top of like Bitcoin, you know, you go up to, I have this theory right now in my head that I've been thinking about. And it's like, Bitcoin is like a window where every time you walk up to it, you get a hot dog. And no matter what you do, when you walk up to that window, you're going to get a hot dog back from that window. But Ethereum is like, you walk up to this window and you can get a spaceship or a water bottle or a microphone or anything. And it's like really hard to wrap your mind around. And it's like, as we move into the future, you know, we are going to, it's like discovering itself, you know? Like Vitalik has no idea where this could go in the future and neither do any of us. And, and I totally agree. I think that one thing you touched on is like the gravity of time on like the Lindy effect on these different smart contracts. Like we know through seven years of people trying to break it, that it, like it's probably not going to break for another seven years, you know, like, so, and, and that's another thing that I want to talk to you about is just the, the risk involved in some of these really new projects and how, you know, they don't have that same weight and gravity of time weighing on them yeah but they're often you know the most lucrative like little shit coins that all you know could really do big numbers or that you could farm in in, in DeFi. and you know this is a, a lot of this new stuff they're talking about kind of comes to the concept of yield farming which is this new trend basically think about yield farming as mining without needing hardware so basically instead of you buying a machine to create new tokens in a certain protocol you use your own tokens that already exist in the system, which you own. So basically you use your liquidity to then earn an interest rate, right? At a certain rate, which is, you know, paid via the smart contract and it's written in the code by, by the team, right? So this is kind of the newest trend, which is on the realm of super risky because we've seen a lot of rug pulls, which is basically like a team pulls the liquidity from the decentralized exchanges which leaves you with tokens that you can that you can't transact with anything because there there is no liquidity on any exchanges so that's that's definitely a big risk you know so how do we yeah how do we identify that as a problem before we invest our money like where what should we be looking for as red flags that say to you that it's a rug pull like that yeah i mean a lot of it is like the team, you know, if you're doing your due diligence into the team, you're usually pretty fine. That, that is one thing. I mean, the other red flags are just ex like excessive marketing and like insane promises, to be honest. The, the way the crypto sphere has matured in, since 2017 is honestly amazing. It's still very speculative gambling, if you will. But the promises in the marketing in 2017 were so wild compared to kind of what is now and the legitimate projects that are pulling traction. So yeah, if like... I, I, I kind of just want to say use your intuition, but it's tough when, you know, you haven't played around too much. So like really seek out the advice of friends, like friends in the community have made me more opportunities and trades and ideas than, you know, ever. And that's like the biggest ethos of crypto. In addition to the other few that I've said is like the community is what matters. And so, yeah, I mean, 
don't know. What bro, community like, members do you like respect the most and, and go to for information? Not like your friends, I guess, but like Anthony Pompliano would be one example of someone that, that you know. That was, is a really... that was a question I had as well. Like the thought leaders you subscribe to in the space. Yeah, so you guys should check out the lists on my Twitter. There's like a crypto analyst list. That one's good for just like straight trading. And then if you go on to if you go on to the DeFi slate Twitter, there's also lists for DeFi peeps that that are there. It's tough for me to just like give out a few, but there is a separation from 2017 Twitter, which is a lot of technical analysis and margin traders, and 2019, 2020 DeFi Twitter, which is a lot more yield farming and kind of DeFi on the ground peeps. So yeah, you guys can find a lot of those in any of the DeFi slate lists. Yeah, all those are pretty great. So I'm coming to this conversation as a much more beginner than Kyle is, more is in less experience. What is like step zero, step one, step two for yield farming? Yeah, that's that that is a good question. So basically you're gonna need to purchase some Ethereum on Coinbase or on um, Gemini or any centralized exchange where you can get Ethereum. Uh, and then you're gonna need to go and go to uh, metamask.io which is which is going to download you an ethereum wallet on your chrome extension it'll give you a seed key you want to write that down and you want to lock that in a safe spot and then basically you want to send your ethereum from coinbase or gemini to the address that is provided to you on the metamask wallet and then once you have the ethereum on your metamask wallet you can basically go and start to use that at any DeFi protocol so once you have your metamask it's it's up to you as to you know where you go you know what are you trying to to do are you trying to earn yield on eth okay great you can put your eth into say ave or into say compound and earn a small a small return with like what I consider to not be that much risk. Small, I mean, you know, seven, eight percent. It's twenty times what you could get at any bank. Yeah, for sure. And that brings us to okay, do you want to earn, you know, eight percent on your stable coins? Cool. Then you go, to, you take your ETH in your MetaMask. You'll go to Uniswap and swap it for USDC, and then and then you you can deposit the USDC into Ave and start earning that seven, eight percent, right? So it depends on what you want to do. But the first key, without a doubt is getting ETH and getting it to a MetaMask wallet and then starting to interact with the certain apps that are available because there's really so many. But yeah, we love Aave Compound as like a lending and borrowing protocol to kind of test and put some money in because it's ultimately what we consider to be on the safe side of DeFi. You know, and then from there, you can kind of go and explore more. So it's a rapidly, rapidly changing field as we kind of all have agreed on. This is not meant to be a rude question, but what do you think in one or two years that like all those words you just said, like MetaMask, Compounds, Aave are just going to be swapped out for brand new words in like two years. Like yeah. th those specific, I mean, I'm sure you have like a specific answer for each of those, but to what extent can we expect a completely different landscape? Yeah. I mean, I think ultimately Ethereum is going to be the base layer. You know, that's why it's definitely one of the, the higher convicted bets. Really when it comes to the application layer, it, it, it again kind of comes down to the same few things, which is like the Lindy. So how long had they been around and like, what is their team? You know, is their team somebody that shows that they want to be around long term you know have they decentralized their their kind of ownership of the protocol does the community does the token holders own the proposals that come in 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 governance like is it a decentralized protocol right and then kind of you know yeah what's the vision what's what's the roadmap but yeah chances are there are going to be hundreds and thousands of new DeFi protocols popping up in the next 
three, five years. There's going to be new ones, but in the way that these things work, like what's been set will never be gone, right? Like you can't delete Uniswap now. You'll never be able to do that. Yeah, for sure. If Uniswap, you know, like, but like, I don't know, there could be an, like, like an instance where, you know, something somehow goes, you know, terribly wrong with the code or something and somebody finds some an exploit, right? There's, there's always like an, but if, but yeah, I'm kind of on the same page there, Kyle. And to answer your question, Lewis, I would say that I'd, I'm counting on those, those protocols to be there in one or two years, for sure. I kind of see DeFi as like the bet of the decade. And if it works, then it'll be here to stay past 2030s. But if it, if we fuck it up as a community and we get too greedy and, and we try to do all these different things and don't work together, then it might not. You know, so that's kind of the like like the time frame that I view all these protocols on. Okay, so you said briefly there, like about loading ETH to your to your MetaMask, and you know, I want to talk to you a little bit about the implications of scaling and what ETH 2.0 will do for the space, and, and what your thoughts are around that. Because like right now, you know, if you put a hundred dollars into a MetaMask, if that's what you want to play around with, like you can't move it anywhere because the transaction fees are too high. So you have to be at a certain level to, to play these games. And I think that, you know, a massive amount of liquidity will be unlocked once ETH 2.0 and we, we can scale past like insanely high gas fees. So I guess like the question is what, what will be different because of a fully scaled solution? And a quick explanation of gas. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, real quick to kind of prime us off when you're doing transactions on a blockchain, what you're ultimately doing is you're, you're, you're competing for block space. So on Ethereum, there's about a block uh, every 15 seconds. And what a block is, if you want to think about it in a chain, it's a bunch of blocks that make up the chain. That's why it's called blockchain, where obviously it's not tangible, but inside these blocks are hundreds of transactions, right? Like just transaction, transaction, transactions, right? On certain blockchains that advertise, we can scale, they've got, you know, 10,000 transactions per second, right? I don't even know what ETH is right, ETH is right now. It might be in like the teens. I, I'm not exactly or in the hundreds. I honestly, I, I have no idea, but the block space is what you're competing for. So as a user of, of, of a blockchain, there is an auction, if you will, to get your transaction in the block the quickest. And so if people are willing to pay more than you to get their transaction in the block, they're going to get theirs in first, right? And so what this causes is in a never-ending increase in the price of the of the block space because people are are willing to pay more and more for it as it becomes more 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 high in demand. So as the reason why there's such a high gas fee right now is because there's a lot of demand for this block space. So kind of now that you get that what you do to pay for this block space and to pay to get your transactions through to the miners to have them effectively create it and verify it, you, you have to pay what is known as a gas fee. And gas is just a really small unit of Ethereum. It's measured in GUE. So effectively, you have to pay Ethereum to the Ethereum miners to use the network. And so that's kind of the gas fee and block space and why it's so high right now. And so looking forward with what we have, there's a few solutions on the agenda. The first one is, is what's known as EIP-1559. It is effectively a shift in the way this auction happens. We won't get too deep into the technical details, but effectively it's not gonna lower the gas prices. 
you know, it might, but, but what, what it's going to do is it's going to create a much better incentive mechanism with the users and the miners to effectively lower the, this uh, kind of action of, I'm just going to keep one-upping you. And it doesn't matter because w we have like so much ETH, if you will, that we like, we'll just pay a bunch of gas. Right. So that's kind of like the EI, like it, it, uh, it changes the incentive mechanism. And then finally with ETH 2.0, it's a switch to proof of stake. So what this means is right now, Ethereum and Bitcoin are ran on proof of work. And so when you switch the proof of stake, basically the miners are semi-eradicated over time. And there are now validators who hold uh, 32 Ethereum, which all band together to validate the network, you know, and and effectively, it, it kind of takes it from a rent seeking miner to user relationship to simply a token holder united relationship. Now, Bitcoin will never be able to be like this just due to the pure kind of digital first mover kind of it had to do dog, this. No yeah, what, yeah. If it didn't start as proof of work, the, like the incentives, like the incentives wouldn't work. I don't think, but yeah. So ETH 2.0, I'm bullish on it, but I'm just as lost as the next guy. And I, you know, it could come, but you know, it's really tough to kind of say when everything is just kind of like pushed back, but. Right. I agree with that. You know, just like the ideas though, the idea of having, being able to do millions of transactions per second, it, like, you know, how does that change DeFi? And I understand that it's sort of a big question. You know, there's not really one answer to it, but I think it'll, it's going to change everything. Yeah. I mean, at that point, it seems like it would just be for everybody. I mean, ultimately it is today. You can go on Binance Smart Chain if you don't have, you know, more than a few thousand bucks and use a more centralized network, but ultimately trustworthy backed by Binance. But yeah, I think you're on the right track. I mean, it seems like it's uh, it's kind of a race against time, if anything, just if we can do this quick enough and before, not even before anything, just kind of if we can get people onboarded ASAP and get this software developed ASAP, then we can, you know, have the system work the way that the vision is led. You know, right now, the most scarce thing in DeFi is good developers. I mean, if you know coding and you're willing to learn a bit of solidity, you've got a multiple six figure job waiting. Like, and, and that's like, that's at like the, like the small end. Like, it's just like, it's nuts really on the developing side. So yeah, I'm on the same track, man. I, I think if we can get a lot of people in scalable DeFi, then yeah, it becomes just much better than what we currently use. Yeah. I'm excited for it. And uh, Is there a, I was going to ask if there's like a DeFi job posting, cause I should look into that. Crypto. I, I want to learn solidity yeah. kind of. I mean, honestly, Lewis, like I can code, bro. <laughs> I can get you a, a definitely like a programming gig. I mean, this is on air. So now I'm fucking now I'm in it. But yeah, I think we can definitely get you one. Like there's people that hit me up often about, yo, do you know any developers? Like, yo, do you know? Any? Like, so it's, it's nuts. Um, well, that's a conversation we'll have off air, I guess. I'm interested. Lewis, you need less options, not more options, bro. But what oh. if that's a super good one, bro? I know that's Dude, how I started out in the pre-air introduction. Not... I struggle with having too many options. That's right. Uh, <laughs> um, still curious though. <laughs> what? So what does it mean to contribute to a protocol? And as somebody who is not technical, how can you positively contribute? Yeah, I think the biggest thing right now is through governance. So being a token holder and 
and voting and creating proposals in protocols, you know, that's, that's definitely something that is growing in DeFi and that you can contribute. The way that we did it with DeFi Slate was we opted to grow audience, if you will, teaching people about DeFi. And then we've leveraged the audience to help protocols get out there and get their, get their message out to people that are interested. Right. So that's, that's another way. In fact, I would say for the marketing business that I started in addition to the coding gig, there's a ever a ever-present need for more marketing in DeFi. So if you're listening to this and you're interested in marketing and you've got another gold mine, I, you know, I tend to think- That's also still me, so. <laughs> yeah, it's good. I mean, really what I'm saying is like, it, it, it's right now, it's kind of a, a wild, wild west right now. And so there's kind of opportunity to, to do anything really, Kyle. But yeah, I would say like participating in governance and being active in the community and then trying to help with either the development side uh, or the marketing side. And then like the last way is just like be a participant, you know, be active in DeFi, be using it, be having, have, have your money and have a say, you know, in kind of what happens. There's no really, there's no other system right now that you can have a say in what your protocol does. I mean, yeah, in shareholder meetings, you know, you can vote and stuff, but in DeFi, you can literally, you know, have a say and create, create proposals for the direction that, you know, that the, the you, yeah, you had a great line in the wild West post about that saying like, I don't understand why these finance bros, their life's dream is to like join an industry that capped out 20 years ago. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's why not choose one that's on the way up? Literally exactly. like on the very bottom floor of where it can be. But I, I, I think that like there's a little bit of presumed understanding here with the idea of voting and governance and like submitting proposals so you can you briefly talk about like what that is like yeah, for uh, sure mm -hmm. so like on the base level guys if you're new to crypto like don't even need to understand any of this really like it's just <laughs> kind of it's just kind of there for uh, i guess people that are uh, interested in really seeing the future of certain protocols and stuff but i i encourage everybody to try and basically what it is is ultimately all it is is a website and a form that has a bunch of, I guess, a written a written proposal list of all different types of ideas for things that the that the protocol could either invest in, do, create, you know, or manage partnership ideas, all sorts of stuff. They're all submitted by basically lead community members, random community members, council members, any member of the DAO, which is an organization that kind of helps govern some of these protocols. And basically, they are then kind of snatched around in the form and talked about and discussed and and like the best ones from the form make it to the governance page which is basically just another website within the protocol and then they're voted on on the blockchain so basically you connect your metamask wallet to this website and you know you use your tokens that are in your wallet as your percentage of the say so yes in this in this case the whales have the largest uh, share of the government. they should because they have the largest incentives that's correct. Some would argue otherwise. So, you know, it's a shift, you know, governance is something that we've, we've been trying to figure out for, I mean, hundreds of years as humans. So yeah, you, you just, you, you use your tokens to vote. You, you choose the proposal, yes or no. If it's yes, you obviously do yes. And then you, you, you submit a transaction. If it's on chain, if it's off chain, it's just on, on the site and then you're done. And after a certain amount of time, if the vote's passed, then the protocol's team basically does what the community wants it to do. And if it's not, then the protocol team, it doesn't do it. So effectively what we're looking at is protocols that are governed by its token holders rather than the traditional hierarchical company setup. And how are the people, man? This is, this gets me excited. 
Yeah, it's badass, dude. I mean, it makes it tough to even build a traditional company these days because I'm like, like, I don't want to be the CEO. Like, I just want to be like the fucking dude, like a part of the community, you know? So like when, when building DeFi Slate almost, we tried to incorporate this and we're shifting towards a, a DAO, if you will, sooner than later, or at least a more community-based structure as we're, as we're growing. So yeah, I think the path to decentralization is the better path in terms of growing a, a company from now on. And it's going to be interesting to see how that, how that plays out. Louis, do you have a question? I, I, I Well, actually, never mind. So this question, <laughs> like... I didn't. Something that someone's asked me before. And, you know, I have all these ideas in my head as to like, well, this, this, and this. But like, it, I, my answer wasn't very clear. And I want to hear yours. And that is like, why is decentralization better than centralization? Yeah, I mean, it's just tough to to kind of put it in an answer to that. But... Right. But like, just like the incentive systems are are there in decentralized kind of collaborative ecosystems and less so in these zero sum kind of world of hierarchical, hierarchical nature and kind of production and just all sorts of collaboration is enabled. And through crypto, there's definitely that. But I mean, it like I said, it translates to a, a traditional you know project like DeFi Slate. It's just uh, it's a kind of a mindset and a way of life at first, and then you just kind of start to introduce it to the the protocols kind of over time gradually. But yeah, I think ultimately centralized entities can bootstrap things way faster and much more efficiently to start. I think that's how everything should should start. And then the goal, as I was saying, is kind of the path to decentralization. So a lot of these protocols will start. I think I'm having a, a realization here in the middle of you talking about, about it. And it's like at the beginning of any organization, like most people are principles. And as you move into the future, more a higher and higher percentage of the people involved with that organization are agents. And like the principal agent problem is super prevalent in these big centralized organizations that are, you know, hundreds of years old. But if you can take it from the beginning where it's, it's mostly principles and then transform it into a decentralized organization where you make everyone that's a token holder a principal, it kind of eliminates that, that principal agent problem that becomes a, such a, you know, a big problem as the organization ages. Yeah. I mean, I think the goal is to kind of create organizations and protocols that go th through generations of time and can simply be replaced in terms of people. So like, will Ave be ran by the same core team in 10 years? Like, I would argue no. I would argue that Ave will still be around in 10 years, but it, it, it'll be so much differently community structured than it is now because people will phase out, phase in. So I think, you know, I think that, that yeah, I think you're on the right track. And the people that are voting on these different protocols are the ones that own the tokens, you know, exactly. the ones that yeah, and so they own the protocol too well, effectively. To to riff on that, you know, to explain a counterexample, if you're at the organization where majority of the people working for the organization are just agents, like that's when you get people cheating their expense accounts, right? They're like, might as well put as much exactly. on this as possible because you know my salary doesn't matter. But when you're cheating your expense account, takes a proportionate amount of money away from your equity in the company or your stake in like the organization. Like the no one's are completely different. Exactly.
Yeah. And then that, that's, I think that's like the big key with, with the tokens is when you have everybody kind of in the same battlefield, I guess you, yeah, you, you're able to kind of work together in a way that is, it's, it's almost like these protocols of bootstrap companies where you can just buy yourself some equity in the company without like any, I mean, that's kind of how it goes with equities, obviously with stocks, but in this way, you actually own a percentage of the supply of a token, which gives you ownership of something. Yeah. And, and I think it's, it's, it's an asset like that, that doesn't really exist elsewhere, obviously. And so it, it, there's a lot of, there's a lot of things that could go awry, but I think if you understand the, the decentralization and the ownership concepts, you know, you always kind of find your way into the right loopholes. Right. Well, I mean, you know, the point is that even if, well, even if one protocol dies, like another two will grow. And if one of those dies, two will grow out of that. And like this idea of decentralization just isn't going to go away. And like blockchains aren't going to go away in the future. And, you know, as we move into the future, like the things that have happened in the past will have that weight of time on them. And they'll be more and more proven. But these... Yeah, and hopefully we'll be rich as fuck by that, honestly. So right. speaking of, speaking of, I have a question for you. Kyle put this on my radar not too long ago and with extreme excitement. And you did a podcast with Mona actually from Enzyme. You did? But, I'm trying to get her on. Yeah. I didn't listen to it. It was good. She's dope. Yeah, dude, uh, they have a dope ass protocol. You can start a hedge fund without any fucking, any certifications so and you just fucking That's my it. question to you is if, so for the people who don't know what Enzyme is, I'm going to butcher the explanation, but it allows basically anyone to create their own funds and easily receive outside investment in that fund to be allocated to crypto. Do you have interest or plans to do that yourself? Yeah, we have one for DeFi Slate. It's great. It's got a good amount of money in there, maybe like less than 100K. And it's on DHedge, different platform. Enzyme is great. There's a few asset management protocols. We're a tad worried about what the SEC thinks about that. But Reasonably so. Yeah, ultimately the concept is this non-custodial asset management which is completely different than how it is in traditional in, in traditional world where you take people's money through wires, you put it in your account and then you put it into an investment account. With Enzyme and DHedge and all these decentralized asset management protocols, you put in a currency into the pool and you get a protocol token back, which represents your share in the pool. And so therefore in your wallet, you have a protocol token that can be swapped back for your share of the pool at any time. And so basically this kind of alleviates what I consider to be the money manager uh, point of view and kind of puts it into a shared co-investing pool with a leader. And then if you really want to extrapolate on this and you really want to decentralize it, well, what you end up doing is you end up using some of your investors as like your core people to start off, right? So they've been with you for the longest. And then you start to use them as, as like your DAO and as your, your governance and you filter some of your investment choices. You don't have to do all of them through other people in the pool. And like, therefore you are a, a operating entity of multiple people that can be pulled out of the pool at any time. And there is, there is one controller, but the, the, the power of the control is shared amongst, you know, several people in the pool. And so that's how I kind of see us and everybody who's running those in the States get, get out of the SEC's way, but pretty much in any other jurisdiction from my awareness, this is not advice though. It's good. Like, I mean, it's money, but the U S is a little bit more strict. So long story short, super, super great idea. We have a fund already or a pool. I like to call it that this concept will blow up because anybody can 
can do it. I'm just worried about the regulations, but I think we, I think we get past it. I think rightfully so about being worried about the, the regulation of the, of the protocols. I was about to say something about, I, I got another question. Okay. Shoot it. So regulation is one. What is the other black swan type risks to your kind of personal exposure to this universe? Honestly, just everything goes down in price and you lose all, all of your money is like the biggest thing, I guess. But uh, it used to be a lot of, for, for a lot of margin traders, it's getting liquidated. I don't really do a whole lot of that. So that can't really happen. But yeah, the black swan is like, I mean, a 51% attack on Bitcoin would kind of ruin everything or basically just getting hacked robbed but i don't really view those as black swan because um in this weird outlook that i have which i'm a little bit biased with crypto like we there's a going to be the greatest creation of wealth ever so and it's going to happen for the next 10 20 30 years so like we shouldn't really ever have to worry about the amassed amounts of wealth that we have so in a sense getting robbed or hacked would just be like a big step back and should be able to get back right but the biggest things is is the is the you know, like a default on Bitcoin or, you know, Ethereum gets, you know, hacked or all the nodes get shut down or, you know, there's a global power outage, right? Or something like this where, where, you know, we can't even control it and the whole system is gone awry and it's gone. You know, that, that would be, that would be rough. Really rough. So I've got a question about that, but I also just wanted to come back to the enzyme finance thing. The thing that and I'm not sure it's if it's what you're saying or not, but like the how the hedge fund manager or the pool manager doesn't have withdrawal power over the depositors money is a, a huge innovation. I think that, you know, you can trust that your money is not going to be robbed in the middle or like thieved away in the middle of the night by these, you know, hedge fund, hedge fund managers. They're not going to take off to the Cayman Islands. And that's just a huge innovation that I don't think is fully appreciated yet. But why specifically do you think that DeFi will create the largest or crypto in general will create like the largest creation of wealth that we've seen? I mean, like at its core, it's just all a meme. We are literally creating money every time a new create, every time a new token is created in DeFi, it's paired up with ETH. And then all of a sudden that new token has dollar value. It grows a market cap. And then all of a sudden you have, you have, you have us dollar value that has been created. So like at its core, like we are the fed, like there is no, like there, there is no stopping people from creating tokens. It, it, it's like, it's so in, in that sense, like it's a meme money just becomes like, you know, kind of a, a meme. And that's really well, it's a weird already kind of a meme though. Like, yeah, you know, but I mean, on the actual, like, you know, on a more practical note, not like, oh yeah, we're literally just pretty money, bro. Come join us. It's like the primitives that are there and the permissionless nature of it is it allows basically anybody to get access to what only the elites have had throughout the last, like, you know, 50 or hundred years, basically like only the richest of the rich have been able to get in on these pre-sales and like, you know, get in on this new, like new thing and all this stuff. And right now it's, it's basically a lot of people who have been able to just learn about this stuff and not need permission from anybody and not need any requirements, any KYC or anything, basically able to just join the system at any point and participate. And so I think just on a global scale, we've never really seen global finance happen in the way that it's, that it's being enabled with DeFi, you know? And so when I go to bed tonight and, and there's, you know, eight, eight hedge funds in Singapore with an AUM of 800 million each that are buying my Ethereum bags, right? Then it's like, okay, like 
I don't even have to wait for America to wake up because the entire world is all like, you know, in the system. Right. And so that kind of globality is what I think is the idea behind how much money is in the world. What if it all went into crypto or 80% of it went into the crypto world? You know, what would happen? Right. And so that's kind of the, the thesis as to why I believe it's going to be the, like one of the greatest ever, or if not the greatest creations of wealth for many people. I agree. What is KYC? Know your customer. So, you know, when you create a, like a new brokerage account on TD Ameritrade, or when you create in car insurance, right? You have to put in your name, your, your, your SSN, your address, your phone number, all that stuff. Right. And so when, when you do any, any primitive like that, you know, trading or investing in, you know, things that we know in the real world, quote unquote, which is like Ally Financial or TD Ameritrade or Robinhood, they ask you for all this information. In DeFi, you just need an Ethereum wallet. Mm -hmm. You just need your Ethereum wallet. There's no, there's no like Kyle and Lewis, yeah. this is my SSN and stuff. And so that's just like, I don't know, for all the non-geeks that are trying to like avoid the feds and like dodge taxes and like do all these different things. It really is, is nice, you know, pay your taxes guys. Like, you know, you're not fucking unstoppable. Right. That's but um, the game you do not want to play. Yeah, but KYC is that, and it's basically it just causes a, a lot of friction, Lewis. You know, because it, it's just it's invasive in a sense, but also just unnecessary. And so, without it, like I said, it just allows people who are unbanked, people who like, I mean, this is not a large population chunk of the population, but people who literally don't really have a lot of documents like such, or like their identity is uh, fragmented almost. It allows them to basically participate in the system just as anybody in a first world country would, I suppose. And that's huge. I mean, that's unlocking so many people from all over the world to be able to access these protocols that for history, for generations have only been a available to the richest of the rich. And then it was people with the credentials to be able to, to access this information. And now it's anyone with an inter internet connection. And that's just nuts. And my next question is, I don't know if you want to answer this or not, but what does your current portfolio look like? Yeah. So it's a lot of Ethereum as I was showing it heavy today, as anybody would. I just, I believe in it fully. Don't buy it. I'll dump on you. You, you don't have to invest. Like, I don't care. Um, I mean, I want you to come join, but I will dump on you. Right. So Ethereum is big in my portfolio, a bunch of DeFi tokens, a bunch of yield farming, and then some Bitcoin there on the side pretty much makes up the portfolio. Portfolio has gone up quite a bit since 2020, probably like close to 10 times, you know, maybe a little bit less. And I think Ethereum is about to go to about 3,600 with Bitcoin. So that, that's about a two X from here. And I think in a decent short time, again, don't buy it. I'll dump on you. And uh, I think Bitcoin's going to, you know, close to a hundred here in a short period of time as well. Maybe up, up in the seventies. Yeah. What's the expression uh, about dumping? Sorry to ask all that. I'm vaguely familiar with it, but I know a lot of people might still have made it to this far and just yeah, trying to keep, keep up for them. What's that okay. Kyle? I said, not afraid to sell it. Yeah, right? no, I don't know what the expression is. I'm not sure which one that you're speaking of, honestly. Dump on, like, so don't buy it because I'll dump on you. Yeah, sure. That, that I've, I've, I've heard that recently in Alex Becker's videos. He's like, a, he did exactly what I did just with like a hundred times more capital. He started really successful online businesses and then bought hella crypto. And he's now been making only crypto videos. And this is like his way of saying like, I'm not in a guru. I don't know what I'm talking about. So don't buy it. I'll dump on you. Uh -huh. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, that's my portfolio. That's you know, hedge to yield farming protocols. Are you like 
you know, comfortable with, I guess. Like, could you list a few of them? Just because there's so many out there that like are are saying things that seem insane, you know? Yeah, I mean, I like Ave a lot. They're a sponsor of DeFi Slate. So again, don't buy Ave. Don't use it if you don't want to. It's a it, it's a great protocol. After I say don't use it. Uh, Compound is pretty similar to Ave. Both are are lending and borrowing protocols. Uniswap is great where you can go in there and supply liquidity to it or sushi swap pretty much the same thing <laughs> sushi swap and those 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 four kind of make the make a lot of the yield farming in DeFi possible yeah those are like the the bottom layer like yes right yes so like, and then from there on top of that gets more and more risky yeah that's like when we kind of say like you know safe i mean like i, like I can tell you to hop into some of these fucking degen pools that we're in that are too this is what i want that's what i want right yeah exactly. yeah yeah, but then here comes a little bit of the zero sum nature of it is like if there's less people in my pools, I make more money, you know, so it, it, there's uh -huh. this really it's a, it's an interesting concept when it comes to these yield farmers, but a few that are a little bit more risky that are doing well are the Alchemix pool, ALCX. I was going to ask you about that, self-paying loans. That one's nuts. Yeah, that one's really, really, really nuts. And then let's see what other ones. The, all the Bancor pools are really solid. Uh, they have no impermanent loss. Let's see. Harvest. What, what about Harvest Finance? Yeah, I was in Harvest when it got hacked. It was a pretty, pretty big bummer, but I, I only lost like a few grand. So it wasn't like the worst, but it was like, fuck, like, damn, I just mm -hmm. got hacked. That happens, man. Like, when did they get hacked? You got to uh, spread your risk out. Uh, Not, yeah, exactly. It hasn't changed. October 2020 or so. Okay. I mean, dude, they gave us, uh, they did, I mean, this is why I kind of say it's a meme. They did all of, created a bit more tokens and just gave it to people who, who got hacked. So it's like, ah, all right. But you know, it still sucked. And Harvest yeah, is solid. Yearn Finance is solid. Yeah. I mean, I mean, all of those are like primitives that I've used or I currently use. And those are my bank account now. Like I don't have much money in the bank. Pretty much all of my net worth is in crypto. You know, I'm publicly saying this, so I'm taking a stand here and you know, it's, it's been working out. And this is kind of what I see the bankless journey kind of happen for a lot of people is eventually, you know, we don't really need to have our money in a bank because there's going to be a bunch of places and what I think to be on the Ethereum blockchain and, and in Bitcoin, you know, in a sense, they're a hedge against each other almost. And, you know, you can have your money in stable coins that is your bank account in Aave making 8% instead of having to have it in a bank where it's, you know, you know, in the hands of somebody else, if you will. So I think all of this is kind of the part of a bankless journey and everybody kind of starts on their own path, you know, and it's kind of, it's, it's an individual thing, you know, you eventually learn and go and take mm -hmm. it as, as you want to. And that's like the beauty of it is you have the option to kind of opt it's out. Wild West for sure. Yeah. yeah. So we're running up on time here, but I have a question I want to ask you. One thing Kyle and I enjoy about this podcast and our ability to choose the guests we have on it is it's kind of in a similar sense of these obscure protocols you're talking about now, I'm not calling them obscure because they're obscure, but because people have never heard of them. We bring on people like you who, you know, our audience may never have heard of, but then five, 10 years from now, you're doing some crazy shit. And they're like, how in the hell did you know 10 years ago, five years ago to bring this guy on your show? So what are some of your uh, personal goals for the next five or 10 years? Because, you know, it's not every day you meet someone who dropped out of college at 19, made a shit ton of money in e-com and is all in on some crazy stuff that's could be the next greatest wealth creation event in history. So where are you hoping to be five to 10 years from now? Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I struggle to think any longer than my next meal. But to be honest with you, the five to 10 year plan is effectively do all of this that has been done in this short time to, you know, make several million dollars. 
and then basically start a zero to one business or protocol or project, which basically does something that has never been done before. So the way that I view starting off in business is you want to start with a zero to zero business, which is effectively something that's done before is, is what I call it. So, you know, starting a podcast and having people sponsor you, you know, doing email marketing, you know, starting a painting business, right? So once you have are able to make, you know, a bunch of money doing such, invest it, right? Do all that. Then I'd like to take that capital and basically start something that has never been done. And from this point, I mean, I don't really have a monetary goal per se. I don't, the just impact goal is to just build something that yeah has not been done before. And that can impact a lot of people. Ultimately, you know, I obviously want all of the things that are, you know, safe life, this, this, and this, but yeah, I want to start something that, that's never been done before for sure. Zero to one. I like that, Peter Thiel. Are there any big zero to one projects that you respect from the past or that you have thought about recently that you can't execute on right now? Yeah, I mean, there is, the, there is, but there isn't at the same time. Like I'm counting on it to just kind of hit me in my, in my face, you know, but like the, the concept of just pure inventing something is super cool. So yeah, definitely would like to invent something maybe in the physical world, but ultimately I think all the growth is in the digital world. So, I mean, that's probably where we'll be playing, but no, nah, I mean, I don't really have a, a, a strict thing, but yeah, I'd actually like to know about y'all. Like what are y'all's five to 10 years goals uh, or what, what's, you know, like, that's a good what, question. What's Thanks your outlook? For yeah, for real. Right. Yeah. I mean, I want to amass a portfolio of multifamily real estate and get to a point where I can allocate capital from a pool that's generated from the cash flows from that real estate and then invest that like basically as a venture fund into people that are doing zero to one ideas and being really close to the the heart of like, you know, new enterprises that are that are impacting the future. I really like space. I think my background that I can see right now is an O'Neill colony, which is just like the coolest thing in the world to me, just like off-world cities. And I'm really interested in, in the future of all of that. One of the companies right now that if I had the money to invest in, I would love to do would be like Varda Space Industries because they're doing zero gravity, zero gravity manufacturing in space. And basically, like, if you think about manufacturing, the one constant in everything that's ever been manufactured has been gravity. And so if you remove that constant from all of your different, like, manufacturing techniques, like, there's just no limit to what you could build. And that's just one example of something that I think would be amazing to be, you know, in, in the room, a fly on the wall in those conversations. But, you know, to start, it would be, it's like real estate. And I think that the, the crypto... So I'm writing a lot about the intersection of, you know, decentralized finance, crypto and real estate. I mean, blockchains and real estate. And uh, yeah, I think that that is the future for real estate. So if I could, you know, you know, be some small piece in the in the dawn of that eventuality, I think that that would put me in a position to be able to do what I'm talking about. Badass. Hell yeah. yeah it is. I was doing my best to force myself to listen and not be formulating my answer. Uh, and I did a good job because I'm drawing a blank, but let me dive into it. So five years out, I want to be able to hold handstands on one arm for a long period of time. I want to be able to do more handstand pushups without a wall than most people can do regular pushups. I just want to be an absolute fucking calisthenics beast. Outside of that, I am kind of subscribing to a similar mind model to you of, you know, let's do some like steady, get some cash flow from like a, you know, one to 1.1 type business like iterative and improvement offers, not like 
here's a brand new thing that never existed and like taking that level of risk. And once you're at that place of like pretty, like essentially the point of like creative independence, right? You're like, I could do nothing. Like everything I do for the rest of my life could fail. And like, I'm going to be able to live at the level of comfort I've decided is what I want. So kind of like reaching that point sooner than later within that five to 10 year frame, it's just kind of like you said about thinking about your next meal, kind of forcing myself to adopt that attitude for the next month. Cause I have like so many programming projects to do and mm-hmm. I need to like not fail any of my classes so that I can sure. actually get on the, the, the plan to do all that. I think that I love, love, love like learning for its own sake. So I want to, I see the position of like what Kyle said, kind of just being a capital allocator as being a constant student. So you're learning about all of a sudden, you know, someone comes to you with this idea for this project in the space, you know, nothing about, and that's sort of a license to be take a month to just, all right, let's learn everything there is to know about X, Y, Z. And you can like justify it as productive. So I think some aspect of that I see as being what I want to be doing. And I think content creation is a good avenue for that as well, because essentially I want to be rewarded for my skills and interests rather than being like penalized for them. So infinite curiosity meets like indecision. So if I'm doing something like writing or YouTube or podcasting and have achieved the critical mass that brings a sizable audience where that is like the source of revenue, then I can just continue to learn and share what I learn about those topics and hopefully be rewarded for it. So that's kind of like a general answer, but also being able to like go into a gym and do more handstand pushups without a wall than most people can do regular pushups. Yeah. Hell yeah, dude. Definitely. Definitely trying to stay athletic for as long as possible. It's just a blessing to be able to get out there and play basketball and play soccer and go for runs and work out and all that stuff. You know, I fucking love that shit. It's awesome. Yeah. DeFi is cool too, guys. I really appreciate this, <laughs> this conversation. Yeah. It's been, uh, it's been fire. And yeah, I, I, I encourage you guys and everybody listening to basically drop everything that you're doing and join us because the only way is, is up. I mean, the, the markets are going down at some points, you know, there's going to be downturns, blah, 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 blah. You know, you might lose 20%, 40%. It might be a bear market again for three years, but the only way this industry is going is up. And so I think if you want a quote unquote easier way to do all these things that these two gents have said and what, and what I've talked about, you know, I believe in the concept of trends. And so to be able to identify trends in business and in cycles, which I think right now are internet tech businesses, internet businesses. Shout out real estate, God. Yeah, exactly. And, and DeFi, you know, so yeah, I appreciate you guys having me on. And And if somebody wants to learn about DeFi and get really immersed in the space, where should we send them to learn about it? Yeah. DeFi Slate. Let's go. Let's go. Yeah. Yeah. You guys should totally check us out. I don't even show it much, man. I should, I'll start tweeting about it more. We're, we have a really cool community coming out. You know, it's going to be just full of information, full of newbies, full of experts. I'll be in there a buck ton, just literally just basically giving people ideas of farms, of concepts, of speaking about ideologies. We'll be, we'll be using all of the token power that we collectively have in the community to vote on protocols things you know we'll be creating our own little dow all this really cool stuff you know so i'm really excited for that that's coming out soon and yeah guys bright future ahead for DeFi slate bright future ahead for you andy we're, we're grateful to you for coming on and for for sharing your time with us so thanks a lot yeah cheers y'all peace and that wraps up our interview with andy it's always fun to, to talk with somebody that's a little younger and sort of like on our wavelength grew up around the same time 
always makes for a little bit different of a conversation, but I really, really enjoyed talking with him. So my three takeaways, the first of which is that inside of decentralized finance, teams are everything. You've got to evaluate these these ideas based on who's bringing them to the table and their track record. So I think an important piece of investing in this world is going out and finding people that are in the know and then asking them about the people inside of these different projects before you put your dollars down. But again, not investment advice. The second thing is going with the big players. So, you know, we asked him like, what are some of the good bets that he's excited about? And he continually listed these like, you know, Ave, Compound, these established players. And I think that if you want exposure to this market, that going with the establishment people, even though it's so new that establishments like one year old, you know, right, is a, is a smart, is a smart play. And then the last thing is just this idea of like, you only need a MetaMask and then you can access, you know, funds from anywhere in the entire world. You remember 23 words in your head and you've got a wallet that exists virtually. It's the, the private key or the, the seed phrase, like all the, the, yeah. the words, you know. That's all you need. Well, let's not talk about it. (laughs) But but yeah, it's just crazy that you can literally load funds to a MetaMask, go anywhere in the world, download Google Chrome and have them available to you with just, you know, the the words in your head. And I think that that innovation is just, we have no idea what the implications of it are. And those are my takeaways. Yeah, I'm ready to go bankless ASAP. I really like your first takeaway there. I think something, an assumption I had before starting the podcast was that these fields that are tech-based are purely meritocratic, like the best code, like literally Ethereum is about smart contracts, yet we're still talking about the importance of people. So theoretically, the limitation is like how good the code is, but even someone super deep in the space is choosing to evaluate projects based on people, not purely based on the code. So that's just a good reminder. People still matter, even in these fields like math and computer science and cryptography. So that's a fun reminder. My three takeaways. First one, I liked how he described podcasting as school, just shows the merits of non-traditional learning. Obviously, he dropped out of college at like 19. He was probably just in gen eds at that point. And here's this guy at 21 years old, extremely knowledgeable about DeFi. That just shows the merit of content creation as a form of non-traditional education. And I think that was awesome. Second takeaway is gotta respect his skin in the game. Not only does it seem like he have almost all of his personal assets in crypto, he also leveraged those bets. So there would have been amplified consequences, good or bad, if his convictions were or were not true. So I think that is a bold move, a props to him again, Disclaimer, at your own risk, this is entertainment, but good for him. That was pretty cool. Third one, it's kind of a very novice level takeaway, but I'm just doubled down my interest in DeFi and hope it did the same for you. It's an awesome space. If it's the bet of the decade, I'd rather be riding a wave that's growing rather than just paddling on one that's kind of dying out. So not as enthusiastic to try to join some industry that crested 20 years ago. Those are his words. The best allocation is certainly not zero. You want some exposure to the space potentially for educational purposes. That is all I have to say about this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. We have three other really great episodes we published in the past three weeks and about 58 others in the 52 weeks preceding that. I'd highly recommend encouraging you to check any of those out if that catches your attention. Last week with K-High, super, super fun about the importance of coaching, about the deeper existential side of productivity. Before that, Kyle and I talked about what we learned from doing this 
podcasting thing for over a year. That's pretty awesome. Good for us. And the week before that, we talked to another semi-anon person in the crypto space named Blog of Jake. And we talked not as much about crypto, but about the future of things like cities, of human aging, and other exciting developments in humanity. That's all for this episode. If you listened this far, you probably enjoyed it. So we would appreciate if you left us a review on Apple iTunes. It's pretty easy to do and would really encourage us to keep doing what we're doing. And if you want to see our faces, we also put these episodes on YouTube if you want to check us out there. That's all for this week. See you in a week with the next one. Bye-bye.